Okay, we're going to, let's see, we're going to be uh, in chapter 6 today. It's been a few weeks since we've been together, so I will uh, try to uh, uh, review a little bit. Uh, we may need just a few more chairs here, I don't know. We'll, yeah, it's uh, always a good thing. Uh, no complaints. Um, also, I will uh, let everybody know Emily Bonner is here. Uh, you know, we support her as missionary there in PNG. She's home for a six-month furlough, so I uh, get a chance to talk with her. Uh, so, good to have her here. Somebody besides Jane to harass, so... <laughs> uh, Okay, of course we started out our study, we're looking at principles of spiritual growth, principles that are so important for us to understand uh, as we seek to develop as, as believers. And of course we started in chapter 1 where, you know, at the, one of the most foundational uh, issues and that is faith. Uh, the Christian life from beginning to end is built upon faith. And, and we talked about what faith is because we live in a world where faith has been largely misdefined. The world looks at faith as believing something real hard that has no evidence. You know, you, you're just believing in, in whatever. And that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith has content. It has fact behind it. It has the very statements of God. And so biblical faith is taking God at his word. Even if we cannot verify it with our five senses. You know, faith is putting our full confidence in the statements of God. We were saved by doing that. And any forward development on our Christian life is going to require us to continually put our confidence in what God says. He says it, so I believe it. And I learned to live on the basis of it. And so we started out really looking at what faith is and what it's not and some of the misconceptions concerning faith. And then we looked next at the principle of time. Another very critical uh, principle that God is working from eternity and for eternity. God created time. God is not limited by time. And God is not in a rush in developing you and me. He's going to take whatever time is necessary. And, you know... I, this principle is not backed by a single statement in Scripture. It's backed by what we witness in Scripture. The amount of time that God took through, has taken throughout history in developing the men and women that he used. You know, the amount of time he took in developing Abraham. The amount of time he, he took in the life of Joseph. The amount of time he took in David's life. 
You know, you can go all the way through the scriptures and you see that time element. And it's important for us because a lot of times we think if we are not just forging along at great speed in our Christian life, something's wrong. And it's also, I pointed out, so important as God uses us to minister to others. Because we get in a rush with other people. And we want to force them along at a, time, at a speed that is not consistent with what God's doing. We have got to be willing to let God work at his speed and to trust him. So we saw faith, we saw time, and then we saw, uh, spent some time looking at acceptance. And that our acceptance by God is not based on our performance, it's based on our relationship to Christ. You know, uh, we are accepted, what? In the beloved. Now, our lives may not be totally acceptable to God. There may be a lot of things that we're doing and thinking and so forth that are not acceptable to him. But you and me as believers are totally accepted by God. And that's critical to keep in mind as God moves us along in the Christian life. Because, you know, as, as he's developing us, one of the things the Holy Spirit is going to be doing is revealing to us the old Adamic life, the self-life, and it is not pretty. And oftentimes, as God reveals things in our lives that we need to see, we feel very unacceptable. And that's where faith comes in. My acceptance in God's eyes is not based on how I feel. It's based upon what he has said. He has said I am accepted in Christ. And I rest in that fact. I thank the Lord that because of what he has said, no matter what I'm struggling with, I never have to fear whether God accepts me. I know I'm accepted by him when I'm walking well with him. I know I'm accepted by him when I'm not. <laughs> and that brings peace. And then after acceptance, we looked at purpose. Another significant principle. We need to know where God is trying to take us in the Christian life. What God's goal is for us. And there are those who have the mistaken idea and are often very disappointed along the way because it doesn't happen the way they think. That God's goal is to make them happy and to make them prosperous. And when he doesn't, you know, they, they can get really perturbed with God. But scripture tells us what God's purpose in our life is. That his purpose is to conform us to the image of his dear son. God's number one goal in each of your lives 
is to make you more and more Christ-like. He wants Christ to be seen in you. In whatever situation you find yourself. That is his goal. And, you know, that's where in Paul, uh, Paul in Romans 8, 28 and 29, talks about all working God, uh, God working all things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That purpose being to conform us to the image of his son. You know, we hear that verse quoted a lot, but a lot of times out of context and without an understanding of what it's talking about. We say, well, God works all things together for good. Yes, but what's the good he's working all things together for? To conform us to the image of Christ. Now, uh, the next principle we learned was preparation. How does he move us in that direction? And we saw one of God's number one tools in preparing us to really develop in our, uh, our Christ-likeness is failure. Failure on the part of our old Adamic nature. You know, most of us got saved. And there was a great gratitude in our hearts for the fact that God saved us from the guilt and penalty of sin. But, you know, and our goal became now, I want to go out and I want to live my life to please God. The only problem was it was still my life. It was still that life I inherited from Adam at the time of my birth. And I was trying to go out in that Adamic life, in the energy of the flesh, and I was trying to do my best for God. And God let me fail. And at times orchestrated my failure. Why? To bring me to the place that Paul had to come to, not I but Christ. It's not about me. Again, we talked about the fact that Paul there in Romans 7 had to be brought to that place of saying, you know, God, the good I want to do, I'm unable to do it. And the evil I don't want to do, I continually do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who is going to deliver me? And God's response to him through the Holy Spirit, I think, was, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. See, we think of Christ all too often simply as our Savior. We've got to also come to see that he wants to be our life and he is our source of life. Our acceptance is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. Everything is found in Christ. And that's what we're getting to this morning. As we get to chapter 6. The fact that we are complete in him. And again, we'll just work our way through the chapter. I'll comment as we go. 
But he opens the chapter by saying, we continue to deal with foundational facts. Since the life can be no better than its roots, its source. So he says, we're still looking at some very foundational facts. Any real solid growth needs good roots. And we're starting where those roots need to be. He says, youth and immaturity tend to act first and think later, if at all. Maturity takes time to assess the facts. Our, hu- our patient husbandman, you know, the one who is developing us, who's cultivating us, is willing for us to take time and learn the eternal facts without which we cannot be brought to maturity. God is fine with the time involved. The time that it takes for us to learn the facts that will enable us to move forward. Now he goes on and he says, and our Lord Jesus so often uses natural facts to teach us the deepest spiritual truths. And he says, he first teaches us about the natural, the Adamic life, before we can understand uh, and appreciate our new spiritual Christ life. God starts out teaching us about the old Adamic life. We've seen that in the previous chapter with our failures. God shows us what that life is like. And it's not pretty. My old Adamic nature is ugly. I told my students over and over again, I fear my old Adamic nature. I know what it's capable of. It's what keeps pushing me towards Christ. And God, I'm sure, has been working in each of your hearts and lives. You know that battle within you. You know those ugly things that you wish weren't there. And often you've been praying, Lord, help me conquer this. And he hasn't. And we're going to see why as we go on. Because all too often we're trying to fix our old self-life. We're trying to make it look acceptable to God. And that's not where our acceptance is going to be found. Now let's hope that keeps recording. Our acceptance is going to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where our life is going to be found. We're going to see that as we move forward. So God first starts to teach us what we are apart from him. And he said, he, you know, as he's teaching us, he says, this involves the vital source principle after his kind. You know, he says, you know, first, every believer learns he is complete in Christ. He sprang from him. He is like him. 
I hope you all recognize that. I hope you recognize how much, apart from Christ, you are like Adam. Same kind of struggles, same kind of failures. You're like him. He says, you know, uh, and, and that's where he quotes from here from uh, first of all, from Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. You entered this world as a sinner. Why? Because of Adam's sin. And because you inherited from him his very nature. It doesn't take long for a parent to figure out that their young baby has a sin nature. It shows up really, really quick. Why? Because they inherited it. It was passed down. And then... Uh, Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul said. You know, this is in the midst of that chapter where he talks about his struggle and his failure. And he says, you know, that he came to understand that in his fleshly nature, his Adamic nature, there was nothing good. Now, sometimes it takes God a while to convince us of that. We think that's a bit of an exaggeration. Oh, I'm not perfect, but at least there's something good in me. It really takes the work of God to bring us to that place to, where we realize that even some of those things that we think are good about us have bad motives bad goals are not really good. The good things we do often have selfish motives behind them. Paul came, and this is the Apostle Paul, he said, you know, there's nothing good in my fleshly nature. Nothing at all. And we have to come to that point. Now, when through our failures and struggles, he's taught us what this old Adamic life is, is like, he has us at a point where he can begin teaching us who we are and what we have in Christ. But he really can't do that till we come to see how wretched the old Adamic life is. Because as long as we think there is any hope of repairing it, we will try. We will try. It's only when we're willing to get, throw our hands up like Paul and say, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? That God begins guiding us forward to his deliverance so when failures have brought us to a place of really understanding the old 
the natural, that which we were born with. We're ready to learn, that should be of instead of odd, uh, of our spiritual source. My how times I read through these uh, slides, I don't see these things till I'm standing up here. Uh, so. And so he quotes from, again, from the latter half of Romans 5.19, by the obedience of one, that is Christ, shall many be made righteous. Just like one man led us all into the realm of sin, one opens the door for righteousness. For in him, and this is an important verse, I think you need to learn it. Romans, I mean Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, that is Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Everything that God is, is bodied in Christ. Christ is not a watered down version of God. The fullness of God is in him. And in him, we're made complete. And it's interesting, the word complete basically goes, comes from the same word where it talks about fullness of the Godhead. Literally, it says, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in him you have been made full. <clears throat> Now, you might be saying, man, I don't feel very complete. I don't look very complete. Man, my daily struggles certainly don't uh, give evidence to the fact that I'm complete. <clears throat> but this is where faith comes in. <clears throat> I used to use the example with my students there at the school. They all, uh, no one... Uh, <clears throat> went through on credit. Uh, everybody paid their way through school. And uh, a lot of them worked in, uh, their way along. And a lot of them struggled from month to month making their, <clears throat> paying their tuition. <clears throat> the Lord always provided, but a lot of times there were struggles. <clears throat> and I, I, I said to them, Look, you know, here you are, you're struggling from month to month. What if you had an incredibly wealthy relative die and leave you his vast fortune? I said, it would not change your life one bit if nobody told you. You could be a billionaire, technically, and if nobody ever told you, it wouldn't change anything. You could have this vast fortune over in stocks and bonds and bank accounts, and you could be struggling to make your payment every month. And I said, okay, and what if somebody comes to you and tells you, this relative that you barely knew or something left you their vast fortune and, and you don't believe it. 
You think somebody's just pulling a joke on you, a scam on you. And so you totally, you know, just cast it aside. It wouldn't alter the fact that those funds were there for you, but it would impact your life. But what if you did believe them? But you didn't want to take the time to contact the different uh, financial institutions. You didn't want to take the time to research out what was yours. It still wouldn't help you. To reap the financial benefit, somebody would have to tell you that you were the beneficiary. You would have to believe by faith that you're the beneficiary. Faith in facts. And you would have to begin to search out and learn what is yours and learn how to get hold of it and learn how to use it. And that's the way it is with the Christian life. In 1 Peter, we're told that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. Right now. Everything you need to experience life in its fullness. Life as God possesses it because it is His life. You have it now. Everything you need for godliness, you have right now in Christ. But if nobody's ever told you that and you haven't seen it in Scripture, it's there for you. One day, when you die and leave this life behind, this time here on earth, and you go into the Lord's presence, you're going to discover that everything you ever needed here in life was yours all along. That it was given to you at the moment of salvation. So some of you have never heard that you're complete in Christ. Others may have read these verses. You know, this one I just said, that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in Him. And you've read in in 1 Peter that, you know, you have everything necessary for life and godliness. You've read in Ephesians that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. But maybe you haven't really believed it. You quote those verses, you hear those verses, at times you quote those verses. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, we quote that one. But do we really see ourselves as new creations? Do we really believe that we're complete in Christ? And we're going to see as we go on, you know, we have everything right now for life and godliness. We are complete right now, but our Christian life is going to be a journey of discovering all that we are and have.
We enter our lives, as a, our Christian lives, as an infant. You know, and in Roman society, you know, a young child may have been heir of all the parent had, but the young child had to reach a level of maturity before he took practical possession of it. And we have got to grow to the place where we begin to really take practical possession of what has been ours in Christ since the moment of salvation. Now, going on, he says there are two main aspects of this source principle. The source principle being that, you know, our Adamic life uh, came from Adam. Our Christ life comes from him. There's two aspects to this principle. He says, first, the Lord Jesus is the source of our Christian life. It is a Christian life. It is the very life of Christ. That's where you and I have eternal life. A term that also is not always fully understood. A lot of people think of eternal life being something that's going to uh, take effect after we die. Eternal life is something you and I have right now. It is the eternal life of God. A life that had no beginning, a life that has no ending. It is His life that is ours in Christ. Not apart from him. It's where we talked in an earlier class. I said one of my kind of pet peeves is where oftentimes in the modern translations they talk about instead of the old man and the new man they talk about the old self and the new self. The new man is not a new self. There is only one self. <laughs> If I live independently from Christ, I'm always going to be back here. It's only as I live in union with Christ. Had that discussion with my nephew who's working on his doctorate at DTS. And he, he agreed. He said, I, I don't see how they can refer to it as a new self. Because he said, it is the very life of Christ. <laughs> It's not a self-life. It's not an independent life. There is no new independence. If I'm living independently, I'm going to be living on the basis of my Adamic nature. It's only as I live my life in union with Christ that I experience all that I have the potential to be. So he says, the first step in this process is, you know, to uh, see the Lord Jesus as our source of the Christian life. We were born into him, and God has made us complete in him. And then, you and I are to hold to this truth by faith. No matter how the enemy assails, how many times he points at our, our thoughts and our actions and says, you know, you can't possibly be complete 
in Christ. And I go back to God's word. God says, I am complete. That I have everything I need. My struggle is not in the area of God's provision. We're going to get into this more in the next chapter. My struggle is in the area of appropriation. Taking hold of what is mine in in him. Or I guess more accurately, taking hold of what is his. You know, in the upper room, hours before uh, his betrayal, Christ spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what did he say about the Spirit's coming ministry? He said, he will take what is mine and make it known unto you. He said, the Spirit's work is going to be taking my life, my possessions, my victory, everything that is mine. He's going to take it and he's going to make it known to you. Why? So that we can appropriate it. He says, this truth we are to hold by faith. It is true of each of us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you believe you're a new creation? Do you really? Or do you see yourself as a patched up old creation? Because that's about all many people see. You know, I've said this before, but I'll repeat it because I think it's something we really need to get in our minds. You know, we often define ourselves as nothing more than saved sinners. But we still see ourselves as sinners. Rather than seeing as ourselves as saints who struggle with sin. Big difference. As I said, when I was in Ireland, spent a bit of time taking every passage where the word sinner is used between Romans 1 and, and Jude, and the end of Jude. Well, there's only one chapter of Jude. So. <laughs> but, uh, and I was astounded that the word sinner only appears six times in all the New Testament epistles. Six times. Three clearly with regards to unbelievers. Three in a somewhat a neutral uh, sense where you could take it one way or the other. But, in those same passages, it was something like 54 times we were called children, 20 times we were called sons, 135 times we were called brethren, forget how many times we were called saints, the temple of God. All these terms that define us the way God sees us. And yet we continue to define ourselves on the basis of our old Adamic nature. People say, well, what about Paul? Paul said that he was the chiefest of sinners. Paul said, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He said, I was at the front of the line of the people he came to save. But I have yet to see Paul open one of his letters by saying, Paul, the sinner, is always Paul the Apostle. 
Paul defined himself, not on the basis of who he was in Adam, Paul defined himself on the basis of who he was in Christ. And that's a starting point for us to, by faith, take God at His word and say, Lord, my life does not look like a child of of Yours. My life does not look like a citizen of heaven. But Lord, I believe that is who I am. I believe that is who You have made me in Christ. And Lord, I want that reality to be experientially seen in my life. Not to my credit, but to Christ. I want His life to be seen. I want others to be drawn to Him. There's nothing about Rick Barth that anybody needs to be drawn to. They need to be drawn to my source of life. The Lord Jesus Christ. He says... You know, this truth is what we're to hold on to. That we are new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. How many times have we quoted that verse and not really believed it? We haven't really believed that we are new creations. And then he says, and we're about to run out of time, but Second, as we hold to this fact, again, faith is based on facts. As we hold to this fact by faith, we are brought into the practical reality of it day by day in our experience. We cling to this fact by faith and little by little, day by day, the Lord makes it more and more of a practical reality. I'm still a long way from Christ being seen in me to the degree he wants to be seen. But I thank the Lord that I'm not where I was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And that's to his credit, not to mine. He's worked day after day after day, little by little. And I'll tell you, as you come to understand the truths of this chapter, it will change your prayer life. It will move you more from, Lord, I need you to give me this or give me that, to thanking the Lord for who you are and what you have, and praying, Lord, open my eyes to all that I am and have in Christ. Teach me, Lord. How to take hold of the provisions that have been there since the moment I accepted Christ as Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who is there to guide me step by step and to open my eyes to when I step over into the the, the fleshly nature and to keep pointing me towards Christ. You know, we had that one quote the other week, uh, back a couple chapters back, which I said to me is, is probably my favorite quote in the whole book. If I am to be like him, then God in his grace must do it. And the sooner I come to recognize it, 
The sooner I will be delivered from another form of bondage. Throw down every endeavor and say, I cannot do it. The more I try, the further I get from his likeness. What shall I do? Ah, the Holy Spirit says. You cannot do it. Just withdraw. Come out of it. You've been in the arena. You have been endeavoring. You are a failure. Come out of it and sit down. And as you sit there, behold Him. Look at Him. Don't try to be like Him. Just look at Him. Just be occupied with Him. Forget about trying to be like Him. Instead of letting that fill your mind and heart, let Him fill it. Just behold Him. Look upon Him through the Word. Come to the Word for one purpose. And that is to meet the Lord. Not to get your mind crammed full of things about the sacred word, but come to it to meet the Lord. Make it a medium not of biblical scholarship, but of fellowship with Christ. Behold the Lord. When we're focused on our life and trying to fix it and trying to make it look more like the, old, uh, the new man is described in Scripture, our focus is in the wrong place. Our focus is to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I shared then, and I, I'll say it again. I have not in my life known any man or woman who really focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and got to know Him who was not transformed by Him. I haven't seen it happen. Everyone I've ever known that really, really had an intimate walk with the Lord Jesus and had their focus on getting to know Him were changed by Him. You're complete in Him. And the more you come to know Him, the more He is your focus, the more He will change everything about you. You will find yourself thinking more like him. You will find yourself sharing his goals. You'll find his heart becoming your heart. You really can't get to know him without him changing you. And so, we're complete in him. Now, we didn't get very far in this chapter, but that's okay. I'm not necessarily trying to break speed records remember the chapter on time <laughs> we're taking some time going through it because this is incredibly important it took me a while to come to see how important it was to get to know Christ I spent too much time trying to fix myself and failing but I know the importance of that failure because it brought me to that place of being willing to say, Lord, there's got to be more to my salvation than what I'm experiencing. Christ didn't pay the price he paid to buy me what, I've got right, uh, what I'm experiencing right now. Show me what you have. And it's been a, a journey of him opening my eyes to more and more truths of what I've had in Christ since the moment I got saved. And I've come to appreciate him, not as my, simply as my ticket into heaven, but as my source of everything, my very source of life. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. We really can't thank you enough. Can't thank him enough. Lord, to think that he bore our sins and paid our penalty, but Lord, that he did so much more than that. He paved the way for us to be taken out of Adam and be placed in a relationship with him. That he paved the way for us to become new creations with the old life being gone, the new life going on. Lord, we thank you for that life that we have, a life that we will possess throughout eternity, but that we possess right now. May we experience it with greater and greater fullness. And Lord, as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, little by little, transform us into his image. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.